so, I don't know about you, but I feel a little all over the place this morning. I had a hard time getting up, and uh, I'm just going to open up with prayer, because uh, I feel like I need, you might need it to stay awake and listen, but I certainly need it to share. So, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are with us and for us. We're not alone. We're not hurtling through space in the darkness all by ourselves, but God, the light of the universe, is with us. I'm thankful that you're with me. I pray that it'll be your words that I share, that hearts will be warm, that our imagination will be sparked, that we'll come away encouraged because we're not in this thing alone. We have each other, but more importantly, we have you, and you'll never leave us or forsake us. God, I pray that your name, the name of Jesus, will be high and lifted up today, that the people watching online, the people gathered here, uh, will just be will be more impressed than ever about how good you are. And I pray these things like, oh, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, if you had to pick a word to describe 2020, do any of you do this, like, when a new year is coming up, you pick a word? It's like a nerd thing. I usually pick a word for the year, and I'm like, this year is going to be hope, or this year is going to be progress, you know, or something. And I know Darby has an Etsy shop. This isn't a plug for your Etsy shop, but she does it. She sells one-word bracelets, and people get like a word stamped on a bracelet, and uh, that usually sells really well in January. She's always making all these one word. Um, but the word I picked for 2020, before 2020, is not the word I choose now, right? Like, what word would you use to describe 2020 if you had to sum it up in one word? Anything. Dumpster fire. Dumpster fire, okay. <laughs> yep. Compound word. What else? Roller coaster. Roller coaster, yeah. Other words? Confusing, absolutely. Maybe some words that we can't say or maybe we don't think we should say in church, right? There's some words that come to my mind. I'm like, if I say that, some people are going to be like, this is the church for me. And other people are going to be like, this is the church for me. And go running outside. Um, I saw someone online describe 2020 as God forsaken. That resonated with me. It feels a little God forsaken, doesn't it? It feels like... God's just given up on us. Uh, many of you have not only suffered isolation and job uncertainty, some of you have had COVID, some of you have lost people you love. You had hopes dashed again and again by a year that just won't relent. It's just one thing after another, and it's like you can't catch your breath. It's like you're underwater and somebody keeps shoving you down, and uh, it feels a little God-forsaken at times. There's been some times this year where I feel like, where's God at? Like, what's happened? The word God forsaken is actually pretty close to an ancient Jewish idea that God's judgment was not him actively raining down fire on you, but rather was him removing his protective hand from around you that kept back the swirling, chaotic consequences of your own actions. And he's like, this is what you want. I'll just take my hands off and let it crash in on you. When God forsakes you, according to this ancient Jewish idea, the chaos that God ordered in creation reverts back to chaos. You don't want me to be a part of it. I'm a God who brings order. You don't want order. Chaos comes. But I don't think we're God forsaken. I don't think that God has given up on humanity. I don't think he's forsaken us. I think God is still with us. And more importantly than that, even, he is for us. It'd be one thing if God was with us, but he hated us, right? You ever been forced into a room with someone you hate? It's the holidays. Even despite COVID, you're probably forced into some rooms with some people that you're like, hmm, wish I didn't have to spend some time with them. 
but God is both with us and for us. Now, I know that for many of us, Christmas can be an incredibly lonely time. This year is going to be especially lonely as many people are forced into quarantine or can't gather in big groups or can't be with their families. But I hope today's message reminds us that the, the heart, the real meaning of a Christmas is that we are never alone because we have a God who is with us and for so let's look at Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about like this. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her. But he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Now Matthew here quotes Isaiah 7, 14. And there's a 400-year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We just flip over from the last book of the Old Testament to Matthew, and we're like, oh, look, it just continues. Here's the continuation. But there was a 400-year gap between the last prophet God sent to Israel and the arrival of Jesus. 400 years of silence and hoping and waiting. Advent, which is just a fancy way of saying the arrival of someone significant or important. That's what many Christian churches call the celebration of Jesus' arrival uh, here at this time of year. Advent comes after 400 years of people asking, if God is with us, if we're God's people, where is he? 400 years of them wondering, where is he at? As they're conquered and conquered again, and they remain as subjects of powers in their lives. Sometimes the best answers to prayer come after a very long wait. Sometimes the most moving miracles require a very long pause. Like the deep breath that you take before a beautiful stanza in a song. Isaiah 7.14 says, Yahweh himself will give you a sign. The virgin will give birth to a son, and his name will be Emmanuel. Now, this is interesting. It starts out by saying Yahweh himself will give you a sign. Yahweh, the name of God given in the Old Testament that God reveals to Israel, this people who he says, you're going to be a platform to announce my special person who's going to change the world. Now, some people uh, really wrestle with the fact that a virgin will get pregnant. I know that some people who wrestle with the miraculous side of the Bible, they're like, wait a minute. Seriously? Like, a virgin got pregnant? Like, we know how people get pregnant and that doesn't happen. You know, like, uh, people in the Bible weren't dumb. They weren't just like, oh, I guess this happens sometimes. You know? like, we think sometimes as modern Westerners that we're just a lot smarter than the people were back there. They were just as skeptical about this as we are. And we actually see that in Jesus' ministry where some people seem to really imply that he was an illegitimate child. But the people who wrestle with this also tend to mention that the word translated virgin can also just mean young woman. And it can. And how do you tell the difference is through context. We have words like that in English, right? If I say, I have a mole problem, 
Well, you could be like, does he have a mole on his face, or does he have a mole burrowing in his yard? Which is it? Well, context. If I said, I have a problem in my yard with moles, you're like, oh. If I say, I have a problem on my face with moles, you're probably not holding a small rodent up in my face, right? We understand from context. Uh, this context would be really weird if it said, Yahweh's going to give you a sign. Yahweh's going to show you something. A young woman's going to get pregnant. You'd be like, that happens all the time, God. That's no sign. There's nothing, there's nothing impressive there. So from context, it definitely seems to be implying, and certainly in the Matthew story, it's strongly telling us this was a miracle. This was something uh, unique that happened. Um, this verse also tells us that his name will be Emmanuel, or God with us. You, I love how Eugene Peterson put it. He says it like this, his name will be God moving to your neighborhood. I like that. That just kind of puts it, uh, it, puts it in a way that I can really grasp. Imagine if there was a senator or state representative representing West Philadelphia, but he lived in Lower Marion. And he sent his kids to Lower Marion High School. He lived on the main line in a nice yard and house. Um, but he went over to West Philly and held a rally and he's like, I'm interested in your issues. I really want to help you. I'm really for you. I'm invested. And you're like, no, you're not. You live in, you live on the main line. You live in Lower Marion. Your kids go to good schools. The trash collectors actually pick up your trash. You don't understand what it's like to live here. But it'd be different if you lived in West Philly. And he said, look, my kid goes to the same school that your kids go to. My uh, trash doesn't get picked up just like your trash doesn't get picked up. I'm invested. I'm in this with you. I live in the same neighborhood. I'm going to do something about it. We don't have a far off God. We have a God who lives in our neighborhood. And you think, I've got some issues in my family. I've got some issues in my workplace. I've got some issues inside my life that other people don't know about. God's moved into that neighborhood. And you're not facing those issues alone. He's with you and he's for you. God became human, he chose teams, and he's forever on team humanity. You remember um, uh, the Twilight ones? And everybody's like, are you team Edward or are you team Jacob? And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, what are you, and they're like, are you for the vampire or are you for the werewolf, right? Like, what team are you on? I need to know what team. God has chosen a team and he's never going to change. He's on Team Bennett. He's become human. He's become one of us. He's moved into the neighborhood and he's never moving out. Now for generations, God had sent prophets and priests and kings to communicate with humanity. Now he would come himself as prophet, priest, and king. He says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm now one of you. I'm invested in your survival. But God is not just with us. He is for us. Notice verse 21 back in Matthew chapter 1. He says, here's what you should name him. You should name him Jesus because he will save people from their sins. The name Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. It literally means Yahweh saves. And so when he's saying, oh yeah, you should name him Jesus because he's going to save people from their sins. The name Yahweh saves fits that, right? That we don't name people very often Jesus today. Occasionally I'll come across somebody and I'll say, oh, they're named Jesus. Interesting. But in the first century, lots of people named their children Jesus saved because they were praying for and longing for divine intervention. But notice what the angel does here in verse 21. This is very clever. He says, you're going to name him Yahweh saves because he will save his people from their sins. And you're like, so do you mean Yahweh or do you mean the child? 
the angel is very cleverly saying here, Yahweh is the child. They're the same person. You're going to name him Yahweh says because he's going to say he's Yahweh. It's a very uh, clever and poetic way of saying, hey, Mary's about to have a child who is Yahweh He is with us because he is named Emmanuel, God with us. Um, but he is also for us because he's named Jesus, God who saves, Yahweh saves. His name wasn't the Punisher. Can you imagine me like, name him the Punisher because he's going to kick butt. Like, as soon as he grows up, he's going to beat people who are sinners. He's going to see people who are in sin and he's just going to slam them. And, or they could have been like, name him Judgment Day. Because he is going to bring the judgment, you know? Or Yahweh's wrath or Yahweh's fire. No. He says, he's going to be called Yahweh's sin. Because not only is it God with you, it's God for you. God is here. He is in our midst. He is in our church. He is in your life. He is in your family and your workplace. There's nowhere you can go that you can escape him. But he does not come as like a, you know the creepy Santa song? It's like he knows when you're asleep. And he knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been good or bad. And as a kid, you're like, oh, man, I better be good with Santa. He's always watching. God is always watching because he's a rescuer. And he's looking and says, do they need rescue? Do they need comfort? Do they need my arrival? He came to save us from our sins, it says. Sin, it's not a word we use in everyday language, right? Nobody's like, Hey, at work, you backstabbed me to try to get the position I wanted. You really sinned against me, man. Nobody says that. But in the Bible, the word's used a lot, and it simply means the selfish, self-destructive parts of all of us, the things that we choose to say and do and think that harm us and others and the world we live in. Everybody's got it, right? We've all done things that we're like, why did I do that? That was self-sabotaging. That actually hurt somebody I love. Why did I say that thing? Sometimes Darby and I will get into uh, a conversation, and I'm a little bored, and I'm like, I'm just going to say something that will you know, poke at her a little bit because I'm bored. What is that? That doesn't make my life better. That makes my life a lot worse. Like, what is that self-sabotaging? There is sin in all of us. And even if you don't believe in God or the Bible, you can admit that there's, there's some self-destructive, some animalistic part inside of you that seems to constantly get in the way of who you really want to become. Jesus came to free us from sin and death. Jesus came to dismantle the things in us that destroy our relationships and make us alone. So if God is with us and for us, as seen in the person of Jesus, why does 2020 suck so bad? Like, that's the question I naturally have after getting to this point. I mean, Jesus doesn't magically make hard things go away. Yeah. Like, to me, I'm like, okay, if you're with me and you're for me, just make the hard things go away. He shows up so we don't have to face the hard things alone. But he doesn't make the hard things go away. I think it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In the book of Daniel, they were thrown into a Babylonian torture fire for refusing to worship the statue of a pagan king. God didn't rescue them from the fire. They got thrown in. When the king looked into the flaming pit, though, he saw four men. He's like, I only threw in three. He rescued, God rescued them from the fire by going through it with them. The people we think of in scripture or in our lives or in history, the people that were like, man, God is with them and for them, you can just tell 
God was with them and for them. They don't necessarily live quiet, comfortable lives. Oftentimes they go through fire. But what I found is those are the people who say, I won't trade my life for anything. Glad I don't have to live it again. But I know that where I saw God's presence was when I was walking through the fire. We imagine that the presence of God will result in a brilliant display of God's power, instantly setting everything right. And the promise of Jesus is that there's one day when he will rule and reign and that will happen. But for right now, what I see most of the time is I expect God to show up with a shout instead of show up with a I expect him to be like, I am here and I'm going to set everything right. And instead he shows up and he says, I will go through this. The Bible calls it a still, small voice. Um, I love that description of God because the biggest being in the universe tends to speak something. He tends to use his inside voice. What do we do? Like, we're like, if I got some power, I'd be on the, I'd really be telling people how it is, you know? And God's like, I've got all the power in the universe, all the authority. I could talk loud if I wanted to, but instead, I use. Jesus wasn't born to philosophers in a palace. He didn't show up with money and grandeur. God likes to whisper so that only the people really listening are in on the story. All the time I hear this objection to God, like, if he's really real and he really wants me to know him, well, he should make it a lot easier for me. He should just show me really obviously that he is here. I think God wants to see who's actually looking for. He wants people who actually long for him. So you say, okay, if God is here, why can't we see him? Um, I think it's foolish to look for God with human eyes. Right? If, if he's a spirit, I can't expect to see him with human eyes, and yet many times I'm trying to use my human senses in order to see something that I don't think I can see or feel with my human senses. Um, if I told you, hey, you need to smell the smell, just use your hands, though. Don't, don't use your nose. Put a, put a clip on your nose. Use your hands to feel the smell. You'd be like, you're an idiot. Like, my hands cannot feel smells. And I think sometimes we're trying to use the wrong senses to recognize God's presence. And as a result, we assume he's simply not there. Like, we put a blindfold on and we're like, uh, yeah, that's a beautiful landscape. You know, like, you can't see it, right? Um, that doesn't mean the landscape's not there. It just means we're using the wrong senses. So how do we perceive the presence of God? This is a life pack pursuit for all of us. We're all going to be learning how to perceive the presence of God, or we're going to be training ourselves to just deal with the perceived absence of God's presence. Dallas Willard suggests fixating our attention on God. He says you should constantly throughout the day draw your attention back to Yahweh and Jesus. You're just constantly bringing your mind back. Like it's an anchor point that you're constantly bringing your mind back. Constantly bringing your mind back. He suggests that the mind is the pathway or the sense through which we perceive the presence and approval of God. That we're constantly imagining his face and delighting in all that is good about him. I've suggested this before, but just practicing in the morning, a simple, like, closing your eyes, imagining a Middle Eastern, first century carpenter <laughs> smiling at you and saying, you are loved, you are mine, I walk with you today, you are not alone. And think about how good our days start when we start like that. 
And yet, there's so many days when I choose not to do that. I just rush into the day. Brother Lawrence uh, was a monk. He suggests talking to God constantly. He says he, he was actually went into a monastery because he wanted to experience the presence of God. And they said, hey, you're going to wash dishes. And he's like, no, 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 no. Give me a good task so that I can really get to know God. And they're like, wash dishes. And what he said was, I'm going to make washing dishes into an act of worship. And he just started talking to God. And he says, now the presence of God became so real because I was talking to him all the time. I could sense that he was always with me. Perhaps sometimes we don't sense the presence of God because we talk to him so infrequently. I know for me, many times, prayer is a task to check off on a spiritual list because it's expected of me, and it is not me longing to spend time with someone. Others have suggested sitting quietly, breathing in and out as we whisper the name of Jesus. Others still suggest reading a psalm aloud or singing along to a song that praises him. Uh, I think that some of us are going to use different things. That's okay. But I think that God shows up and reveals his presence to people who take the time to slow down and listen for his whisper. I believe that God is very close, that he is with us and for us, but he never forces his way in. He waits to be invited. He never shouts to be heard. He whispers to those who listen. So this holiday, I want to encourage you, every time you see a twinkling light or a crimson wreath or hear a Christmas tune, I want you to see it as a visual reminder that God is with you and for you. That he came into your world not to punish you or to crush you. He came into your world to know you and so that you might know you are not alone. You are loved and cherished by a very real and very present God. Think about how the God of the universe became human so that you might know him and so that you might be known by him. He became like you so that you might become like him. He is here with you. We are not alone in our house, in our apartment, in our cubicle. They are not empty places. They are full of the loving presence by you, God. Open your eyes. I think if we look closely, God's going to be a short